Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Amen. Well, turn to me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is actually where we started this series several weeks ago, and we looked at um, the first several verses. And we talked about uh, in the beginning of this that we live in a natural tent. This body is a natural tent, but we are um, not that. We are a spirit who lives in this body, who lives in this natural tent. And there will be a day where we, our spirit, leaves this body and goes into an eternal home um, that God made. And, and we're going to conclude this by really picking up where we left off in the first week in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let me go ahead and begin reading there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. It says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, here, we've heard these verses before. Um, we've talked about these verses in the last several weeks. But we need to remind ourselves of some things. What does it mean to be at home with the Lord? Well, to be at home with the Lord is perfected uh, relationships, right? We talked about that, where there's no more strife, there's no more confusion, there's no more worry, there's no more anxiety. Our relationships don't end here on the earth. They are perfected in eternity. Um, it means a perfected body, as we talked about. We leave this natural tent. We don't just go to uh, a better place, but our bodies are perfected. And the series is really based out of this book called Imagine Heaven, which we've been talking about, written by John Burke. And the, the way that these people have described this perfected body and these perfected relationships is absolutely phenomenal. Um, another thing that, that happens whenever we are at home with the Lord is we go to a perfected place. This is probably the one that's easiest for us to wrap our minds around because we've heard about the streets paved with gold and, and no, you know, all, all the things that we imagine heaven, the pearly gates and all of those things. But it's truly a perfected location. But the, the highlight of heaven, the highlight of being at home with the Lord is being with Jesus. And make no mistake about it, that is the highlight. No matter how perfect our body is, no matter how perfect our relationships are, no matter how perfect the location is, that is the highlight. It is to be with Jesus. But to be at home with the Lord also means that we've escaped some things, right? We've escaped some things, and we talked about that. Essentially, we've escaped hell. We've escaped an eternal, irreversible conscience torment by fire. And that's good news, not only because we escape it, but this was a place that was never designed for us, never created for us, and God doesn't want any of us to go there. So be it at home with the Lord is to not only go to that place that we call heaven and experience that perfection, but it is also to escape the place that we call hell. When we keep reading in verse 9 here, it says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him, clearly talking about God. So whether we are here or we are there, our aim, our goal is to please God. And, and if you're a believer in Jesus, you know, you, you may have a lot of goals, you may have a lot of aims, you may have life plans and all of that, and, and man, 
that's great, but your ultimate goal, your ultimate aim is to please God. As long as you are here living in this natural tent, your goal, no matter what, you may have a goal to, to buy a house. You may have a goal to get a promotion. You may have a goal to get married or have kids, or you may have all these goals or all these aims, but those things pale in comparison to the ultimate goal that we should all have to please God. And if you're ever confused about what you should do or what you should be striving for or which direction you should be going, you, you can come back to center in that my goal and my aim is to please God. So how do we please God? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. Now let that sink in. Without faith it's impossible to please God. That means that you can go, you can feed the hungry, you can visit the poor, you can, you, can, um, you can even pray and come to church and read your Bible and be generous with your finances. And if you don't do it with faith, it doesn't please God. Man, if our aim is to please God, if our goal is to please God, then we need to get to the place where every single thing that we do is by faith. Because anything that we do without faith, it may create some good, it may plant some seeds, it may produce some harvest, but talking about pleasing God without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not that we won't please God, but that we can't please God. Which also is some good news, too, right? Because you may make a wrong step. You may take a wrong action. You may say the wrong word. But if you're doing it in faith, then you're still pleasing God. Because God can take all things and turn them around for our good, right? So, so if I believe by faith I'm supposed to go left when actually I was supposed to go right, that's fine. Because I'm still pleasing God and God will be able to redeem and restore and get me back to the place where I was supposed to be. The problem becomes whenever we take steps and actions and we don't, we're not doing it by faith. Mm. I can't tell with these masks, but that's all right. It's not just faith that makes it possible or impossible to please God. Without love, it's impossible to obey God. And we know that to please God, we need to obey God. And so in the same way that if we don't have faith, we can't please God. If we're not in love, we're not truly obeying God. Because even if God tells you to go left or to go right, if you're not doing that in love, then you are separating yourself from God because God is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, um, Paul talks about this in verses 1 through 3. Now, most of the time, people want to get to verses 4 through 8 to talk about love, and love is patient, and love is kind, and we write that on cards, and, and you know, and we, all that, and that's famous, and that's great. But it starts in verse 1, the 1 Corinthians 13, and Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and, but have not love, I gain nothing. You can do all those things. And, man, those are amazing things. And the world is going to look at you and be like, wow, you are amazing. You are a Christian. You are, you know, self-sacrificing. Like, you, you are whatever. But God is looking at it and is like, are you doing that out of love? 
Because if you're not doing it out of love, you, you can't obey God. And then if we're talking about pleasing God and our aim is to please God, then we have to realize that without sacrifice, it's impossible to live for God. If you are somebody who is living for God and, and you can't remember the last time that you were uncomfortable, you can't remember the last time that, that God was telling you to do something or give something up or uh, something like that where you're like, oh, man. I'm not saying you're not following God. I'm just saying you could follow him closer. I'm just saying there's a separation there because when, when you are truly pleasing God, there comes these moments <laughs> and if you, if you think back, you can remember these. There's these moments where you get comfortable in the routine. Minister Ty and Minister Mario, just, they, they just went to our, our home church, and they were telling us this as they were leaving. They were saying, Pastor, we, I mean, we've been comfortable, and get, but, but we really got to this place just now where everything seems to be working and flowing like it should, and, and, is, and everything is in place, and, and now we're up and moving. And I'm like, that's God. That's God. It's not that God changes or he wants you to be moving around all the world. Maybe, maybe not. But what it is is God wants us to walk by faith. And if we're not willing to sacrifice, if there are things that we're not willing to lay down for him, then we live this life thinking that it's in comfort because God is just so good, which he is. But if we follow him, there's moments of sacrifice. There's consistent moments of sacrifice. Here's one of the ways that I would say this. If there's anything that you're not willing to sacrifice, then you haven't given that to God. Now, there's certain things that God won't ask you to sacrifice. He's not going to ask you to sacrifice your marriage. He's not going to ask you to sacrifice being a father or being a mother. There's certain things he's not going to ask you to sacrifice. But we should be willing to lay down anything at his feet, to give him anything and everything. And those things that we aren't willing to sacrifice are areas that we're not living for God. Our goal should be to live lives of faith and obedience and even sacrifice because that pleases God. But to live lives like so many try to of wisdom or satisfaction or comfort, that, that pleases us. <laughs> Right? It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to live in those things, but we need to recognize and realize that living with just wisdom and satisfaction and comfort as our aim or as our goal, that's something that we think will please us. That's not God's plan. That's not God's goal for us. Because the, the truth of the matter is, if we will live in faith and in love and in sacrifice, we'll receive wisdom, we'll receive satisfaction, we'll receive comfort, but that's not our goal. Y'all with me this morning? God will bless us with those things, but those aren't our aim. When we look at verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this judgment seat of Christ, this judgment seat of God. And um, there, there's, there's a lot in this. I'd encourage you to go to YouTube uh, not YouTube, version, and the, click the little more section on version. It'll say events. You click on events, and you'll see all my notes here. There's a lot of scriptures in this. But, but I want to walk through what the judgment seat of Christ is for just a moment. The judgment seat of Christ is for new covenant believers only. Meaning those, you know, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Moses, those old covenant people that we read about, 
this doesn't apply to them, the judgment seat of Christ. This applies to us who are here and living after Jesus came, died, and rose again. The the judgment seat of Christ um, is this moment when people would say it this way, you know, they have this near-death experience, you know, and, and now it's become a cliche where they say things like, my life flashed before my eyes, right? Y'all, y'all heard that? My life flashed before my eyes. Everything I've ever done, God showed me. This is the judgment seat of Christ for us new covenant believers. So in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, it says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There's many other places. Um, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 16. But this is that moment where all that we have done, all that we have said, all that we have thought is come before us and come before God and there is this judgment. Now, we need to understand some things about this. This Greek word judgment um, has two, two sides to it, if you will. One side is condemnation. It's what most of us think of when we think of judgment. You know, it's, it's the negative. It is, I didn't say the right thing here, I didn't do the right thing here, and therefore there's punishment. But that's not what happens with new covenant believers. We're not, we're not punished for our missteps, for our sins. The reason that we're not punished for our sins is because we've given our lives to Jesus, we've trusted in him, and when it comes to those mistakes and those sins that we've made, God sees that, but he sees it through the blood of Jesus, And it is forgiven. It is washed away as far as the east is from the west. It's made clean, right? Y'all are with me on this, right? So what happens then is when when we read this, this used to really bother me until you do some study and realize what this judgment seat of Christ is. Because it says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And I'm like, God, I've done some evil. (laughs) So, like, is this judgment on me? Because I thought that when I gave my life to Jesus, he forgave all my sins. And that is absolutely true because when you look at this Greek word of judgment here, this word is not that condemnation judgment. This is not the you are going to pay for your mistakes. This is the second side of that, which is about rewards. See, unbelievers will be judged for all of their actions. And that's not a good judgment. That's a condemnation. But believers will be judged in this second side, this side of rewards. So, um, and again, the reason for that is not just because we've already given our lives to Jesus, it's because our sins have already been forgiven. That part of the judgment has already been taken care of. So, so we no longer have to uh, be concerned with that. But we still, because it says here, all must appear before the judgment seat. So we all still have to appear in this place. So then we need to understand what is this judgment seat? What is this place? This this Greek word here is is bima. And bima is is really fascinating because if you go back to this time when Paul used this word, this wasn't a judge sitting before a court passing out sentences. That would be the first part of this judgment, right? This was the second part. This was in a large arena. They would have like athletic contests. 
um, like almost like Olympic games. And the Bema would be the judge who sits high above where the contest, contest took place. And once the contest, whatever it was, was over, the winners would come and they would come to the Bema uh, and the Bema would be sitting high above them and the Bema would give them their rewards. The Bema was the passing out of the rewards. If we think about our Olympics today, it's them standing on those big uh, platforms and getting, you know, the, the medals, the gold medal, the silver medal, all that. So, so this is that. This is the Bema seat is that that passes down, passes out the rewards. And that's what Paul is saying. And these people would have known that. They would have understood that. That, that what happens here as believers, when we have given our lives to Jesus and we take our last breath, there is a moment where we have this judgment seat of Christ where every Everything that we've done, good and bad, goes before us and goes before God. The bad is cleansed through the blood of Jesus. It is washed away. It's not counted against us. And then there's this moment where we are rewarded because we've fought the good fight. We've ran the race. We've finished our course. Now, obviously, we have to do that, right? But if we keep our faith, we go before this reward seat and we receive Rewards. Let me share with you something Paul said um, in 1 Corinthians, just one letter probably to your left if you have a physical Bible, down or up, depending on how you have your iPad or um, phone set up on the Bible app. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Let me, let me read to you a few verses. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. So he's talking about here this foundation that's laid that nobody else can lay. You can build on it as a believer, but, but you can't lay a different foundation as a believer. That foundation is Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone is built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about Jesus is the foundation, and as you live your life, as you build a life, as your actions continue that lead you to a place um, that, that is accumulation of your life, there's a couple different options here. And some of the, one of those options is we live according to this world and we get finances and we build homes and we build businesses and we build all these things. And then there'll be a moment, there'll be this judgment seat of Christ where there will be a fire that determines what remains and what doesn't remain. And that thing that, that, that was natural but not eternal, it's burned up. Another way of saying that, it doesn't go with you into heaven. So congratulations. Whatever rewards you have, you've already received them. As you enter into heaven, that's burned up. But even if everything that you built here on this earth, everything that you did, if it was burned up, in verse 15 it says, you will suffer loss, but you yourself will be saved. So if you, let's, let's take this house, right? You build a house. Let's say you built a natural house, and man, you, you, you built it. You built it like Noah built the ark. God gave you the instructions. You got the wood. You, you did it. You built it. You built this business. You built this house. You built whatever this natural thing is. Then there comes a moment at the judgment seat of Christ. That burns up, and that is gone. 
but you're still saved, you still go to heaven. But let's take somebody else. They didn't, maybe they built a house, a natural house. Maybe they built a business, and man, that's great. And God could use that for a lot of different things. But also, they built some eternal things that last. They actually built their life on loving God and loving others. They, they, they took seriously, go and make disciples of all nations, and they, they built people in various ways. And so what happens is, on that judgment seat of Christ, whatever they built naturally is still going to be burned up, just like the other person. But this, they'll have some things burned up, and they'll suffer loss. Things that they thought would be eternal aren't. But there'll be other things that aren't burned up and are then taken into heaven with them as rewards. It won't look the same. It'll look different. But Paul makes this very clear. That there will be levels to this. Jesus also talks about this in Luke chapter 19. He's telling this, this parable about a, a servant and a, a master, and the master gives these servants um, some of his resources, and he comes back, and he's like, well, what'd you do with them? And depending on what they did with those resources that the master gave them, he put them um, in charge of cities, essentially in heaven. So there's one that that's, has the authority over 10 cities. There's another that has the authority over five cities. And be, why? Because there's levels. There's capacities. There's responsibilities in heaven. And not everybody has the same levels. Not everybody has the same capacity. Not everybody has the same responsibility. There will be people who have more rewards, who have more capacity, who have more responsibility in heaven than others. So let's, let's make no mistake about it. The greatest reward is Jesus, and we get to see Jesus face to face. That, that is, that's the greatest reward, and we all get that, whether everything that we built here on the earth burns up or whether it remains. We all get to be with Jesus. That is the greatest reward, but the New Testament gives us some other rewards, and they call these crowns. Um, in the English Standard Version and some, some other translations, it might call them wreaths, but these are crowns. See, when the athletes would win their contest, and they would go before uh, the bima. The bima, the reward that they gave them, most of the time was a crown, and it was a, a, a wreath. Um, it was a, a crown that had, like, flowers, and it, 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 it wasn't something that was gold. I mean, sometimes it could have been gold or could have been longer, but these were, like, wreaths that were made out of flowers and things like that. So you would get this wreath, you'd get this crown because you won, and every time you wore it, everybody would know that you were the fastest or you won that contest. But eventually that crown would wither up and you wouldn't, it would be no good anymore. Here we're told that in heaven there are heavenly rewards or heavenly crowns that will never perish, that will never dwindle. They will be eternal. So let me, give you, let me give you five of these. Um, the first one is, is what is often called the victor's crown. Again, all this is in the YouVersion Bible app in my notes. The, the victor's crown is based out of 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 24 through 26. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or a crown. But we, an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 
So this victor's crown that we all have an opportunity to receive when we get to heaven are for those who serve God with an eternal focus. You know, an athlete prepares to run their race, to play their game. They'll, they'll be self-disciplined in that, right? They'll eat the right things. They'll exercise. They'll prepare for this contest. They'll, they'll experience self-control. They'll, they'll make sure that they stay away from things that hurt them. They'll make sure to do things that'll help them. And this is a picture that Paul paints for us that we have an opportunity to apply that to our lives with God to receive an eternal reward, a victor's crown. So if we will live disciplined spiritual lives, if we will be people who, who are uh, people of self-control, especially with the things of God, live the life of self-control, and live a life of purpose. When an athlete goes to play or run their contest, Right? They, they have a purpose, and they're going to face opposition in that purpose. They're going to face difficulties. They might pull a muscle, but their, their focus is to finish the race. Their focus is to win. They might have opposition. Somebody's faster than they thought they were going to be or faster than they are. Their strategy, there's all these different things that go into it, but ultimately it is serving God with an eternal focus. So how can we apply that to our lives? Because that's something that when we get to this judgment seat of Christ, and all these natural things are burned up, this is something that will not be burned up. This is something that will be eternal. Our focus, our willingness to keep our eyes on the spiritual prize and have discipline and, and be able to, to sacrifice and have self-control in all things. There's another crown um, often called the crown of rejoicing. And this, this is for those who bring others to Christ or... Um, essentially into discipleship and relationship. This is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Now, this is one that really strikes a chord with me, right? Because I can um, get to a place where I have certain levels of discipline and self-sacrifice to get this victor's crown. And, um, man, that, that's great. And, and I should do that. And, and that's powerful. And that will give me greater responsibility and greater capacity in heaven. But here we get into a relationship crown, right? And so if I think about, like, what's this all about? What did Jesus say this was all about? He said, this is all about loving God with everything that you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. And then he said that we should all be going out and making disciples of all nations, right? And so when I think of that, I, I, it just reminds me that, that, man, I might build a business. I might build a home. I might build all these natural things, but am I building people? Am I loving people? Am I making disciples? Because that's eternal. There'll be a moment at the judgment seat where these other things are, are you're like, man, God, I'm so proud. I won that award. We, we bought that house. You blessed us with this. And God's like, that's all burned up. And then you come over here and you're like, you know that neighbor that you didn't like? You know that, that nosy neighbor that was always trying to be in your business? You know that one that, that left their, let their trash come over into your yard and they never acted like it was theirs? You know, they let their trash roll down the street to your, into you, let their trash can roll down and you always had to take it back. You, you know that neighbor? You had an opportunity to get an eternal crown by how you loved them and how willing you were to disciple them. 
That thing that you thought, like, that comfort, that's, that, all that, that's all burned up. And here, what do you have here? I came across this quote this week that it's like, everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to love their neighbor. Do we want to change the world more than we want to love our neighbor? Because changing the world, you may or may not get an eternal reward for that. We're going to get through the other three here just really quickly. But I, I know you'll get a reward for loving your neighbor and making disciples. I, I saw this other, it was a meme, I think it said um, something to the effect of, uh, you know, if somebody asked you, are you a believer, what would be the answer if you had to respond with, mm, you're going to have to ask my neighbor. So somebody comes to you and says, are, are you a Christian? You know what, I'm not allowed to answer that. Here, let's go knock on my neighbor's door and see what they say. Let's go to the cubicle over to the, the next cubicle and let's see what they say. Hey, let's go across the street where they don't look like me and let's see what they say. Because that is eternal. These relationships are eternal. Discipleship is eternal. I, I got to get through these next three really quickly. There's another one called the crown of righteousness. And this is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 where um, Paul talks about, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. He says, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So all who love his appearing, all who long for heaven, all who are willing to live lives in righteousness, realizing that I may want to be unrighteous, but I'm going to choose to be righteous because I so love Jesus. I long for him to return. I long to be with him. Those people, that will not burn up at the judgment seat. That will be an eternal crown that we will receive. Uh, the fourth one is called the crown of life. And this is found in James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So this is people who overcome persecution, temptation, and even uh, maybe uh, having to give their lives, physically give their lives for Jesus. And we may or may not ever have to physically give our lives for Jesus, but we're promised that we will have difficulty. We will have tribulation. Um, we will have persecution. And how we overcome that will help determine the crown that we receive for eternity. The last one is called the crown of glory. And these are for those who are faithful shepherds of God's people. Now, this comes out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So a lot of people take this to mean this is a crown that's specifically for pastors and ministers, evangelists, bishops, full-time ministry people. Um, that may be true. I, I, here, here's what I would say about that. Uh, Paul tells us that we are all ministers of reconciliation. We've all been entrusted with the gospel to share the gospel with people. So um, uh, we'll see when we get to heaven, right? But even if, even if we're like unsure about the crown of glory, when we go back to uh, the crown of rejoicing about relationships, this, these, these fit together. Right, So we should be people who not only are in right relationship and loving our neighbor, but we should be people that are building others, discipling, sharing the gospel, teaching people what we know about Jesus and about his word. I'm, I'm so far out of time. Let me say this about heaven when we get there. 
um, that, that there will be these different crowns and that they will be eternal. So whatever crown you have, we'll be able to see it. We'll be able to see it forever. Uh, there'll be people who have more responsibility than others. And, and, you know, maybe the person sitting next to you has more responsibility in heaven than you do. But what will not happen in heaven is jealousy, strife, and envy. So when you go back and read through, especially this book where, where he interviews over a thousand people who've experienced this at some level, um, they all talk about this sense not just of love and of calmness, but, but this sense of satisfaction. So you recognize this person has more capacity, has more crowns, has more responsibility, but you are so uh, uh, content and full of love and peace with where you are and what God has given you, that there is no jealousy, there is no envy. You're not looking to that and like, man, how did they, like, Minister Femi shouldn't have more crowns than I have. Why does he have more crowns than I have? I got to preach more. There'll be none of that. It'll be this content that we've never experienced before, this love that we've never experienced before, this peace that we've never experienced before, this calm that we've never experienced before. And there'll be no strife. There'll be no jealousy. Man, heaven is so amazing. I cannot wait for that eternity with Jesus. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown." I want to challenge us, not just today, not just this week, but for the rest of our lives. Man, let's be eternally focused. Let, let's remind ourselves and let's, let's be like an athlete that is playing the game for the purpose of winning. Not just here, but there. Let, let's, let's, let's be people that are purposeful about building treasures in heaven and not just here on the earth. Let's be people that earn crowns, not because we're perfect, but because we've per put our purpose and our aim into heavenly, heavenly places. Let's build people. Let's be self-disciplined. Let's long for heaven, long for Jesus. Let's do what we need to do to live this life to the fullest so that when we get to that judgment seat, everything that we built and everything that we worked for is not burnt up but that we move into eternity with Jesus, with all the rewards that he desires for us. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.